Good morning, everybody. Thank you for joining us this morning. Happy New Year. Uh, again, thank you for joining us this morning. We're going to be starting a brand new series in a brand new year. And the title of my series this morning is going to be Symptoms of a Hard Heart. And we're going to be talking about that in just a moment. Just so you know, all of our teachings are archived on our website at lighthousediscipleship.org, as well as our YouTube channel, Lighthouse Discipleship Center. And we also want to say thank you to all those who have partnered with us and uh, with their tithes and their offerings. And in case you're wondering how you can do so, simply go to our website at lighthousediscipleship.org, go to our give page, and you can give from anywhere in the world. If you'd rather send us a check, you can simply make your checks payable to Lighthouse Discipleship Center. And on the bottom of every page on our website, you can find our mailing address. If you're in the United States, just so you know, all of your tax donations and contributions are tax deductible. We are a 501c3 church. Okay? And so, uh, anyway, uh, as far as announcements, again, we will not be having Bible study tonight. Uh, we've taken a pause. Uh, this will be our last week of a pause. And we will resume our Sunday night Bible study uh, next week. Uh, the 9th of January, and that's where we'll be picking up with our book, Believer's Authority. Believer's Authority is a book that we started on Wednesday night, uh, a little bit, a little while ago. Uh, we're going to, we're moving Wednesday night to Sunday night, and we are still taking a pause on our Wednesday night, uh, for, for the meantime, we'll bring it back later on, uh, we're going to do something new. So, you know, we're still, uh, uh, contemplating what we're going to do, uh, for the midweek, uh, time of service, so... Anyway, uh, with all that said, we're going to go ahead and jump right into our message this morning. I have a very simple message. You know, when I was preparing this, and I, God put this on my heart uh, a few months ago, that in January I was going to do a new teaching, Symptoms of a Hard Heart. I originally thought this was going to be a one-week one week message. Excuse me. But as I began to continue to pray about this, whatnot, God began to put some, uh, some more thoughts on my heart regarding this. And so as of right now, I have at least three uh, teachings on the subject of a hard heart. Symptoms of a hard heart is the title of this message. We're talking about a hard heart, but <coughs> excuse me, we're looking at symptoms of a hard heart is the title of the message. So I hope you're following me so far. Um, and so we'll get into this a little bit. This week will be a little different flavor, I think, than uh, the next two weeks, because uh, this is what I'm going to share this morning is really what has been on my heart for a while. And when I think of a hard heart, this is what I'm going to talk about this morning is what I think of a hard heart. Okay. So bear with me. A lot of what I just said, I'll explain it in more detail uh, in, in just a few moments. Okay. So we're talking about symptoms of a hard heart. Okay. Now, let me again recap what we're going to be doing the next three weeks. So hope, hopefully you guys are with me here. Um, the, the, I have subtitles for all three weeks. The first week I, I, the subtitle is, what are you expecting? We're going to talk about that more in just a moment. What are you expecting? We're going to be talking about our expectations. Okay. And then uh, second of all, uh, starting next week, and this is the add-on message that I'm going to be adding on to the series, but starting next week I have a subtitle called Drunkenness of the Heart. Or talk about a drunk heart. You know, I'm not talking about alcohol. I'm not talking about an intoxicated drink, but I am talking about an intoxicated mind, an intoxicated heart, because we're talking about symptoms of a hard heart. I'll explain more of this starting next week, but a lot of us, our hearts are 
and drunk on the cares of this world, on the worry, and on many things that are made, we're walking around like we are in a drunken stupor because of the cares of this world and the things that we are concerned about that are hardening drink, uh, our heart as if we had a drunk heart. Week three, we're going we're gonna to go to rehab. And we're going to be talking about a sober-mindedness. There's a lot, to, the scripture has a lot to say, especially in the New Testament. Paul, Peter, a lot, excuse me, <coughs> Paul and Peter have a lot to say about sober-mindedness, especially in the last days. Folks, if we are not sober-minded, we can, we can be overtaken in the day of trouble. And I'm not just talking about the last days. Any of us can go through a day of trouble. Any of us can be, go through a crisis. Anybody can go uh, to a situation where their whole world is turned upside down. And if you are not sober-minded, you can get overwhelmed real quick. And some people, without a crisis, are already overwhelmed with the cares of this world and the, and the, and the pride of life and different things. And we need to get sober. We need to get sober-minded, especially in these last days. And we'll talk more about this in the next two weeks, okay? So let's go back to this week's lesson. We're talking about what are you expecting? We're going to be talking about expectations and how that are symptoms of a hard heart. <coughs> Excuse me. So let me ask a question, though, as we get started this morning. Is what does it mean to have a hard heart? What does it mean to have a hard heart? In other words, what is a hard heart? What, what is a hard heart? We're going to be talking about symptoms of a hard heart. What is a hard heart? Is a hard heart someone who's a God-hater? Now, I believe a God-hater does have a hard heart, but that's not what we're going to be talking about this morning. Okay? Is a heart, someone who's a hard heart someone who's in rebellion to him? Although I agree that that can be the case. Uh, and I believe that is the ultimate, uh, the end result of someone who has a hard heart. That's the path people are on, in a sense, of a hard heart. It can, in other words, it can lead to that. But that's not what we're talking about this morning. Okay? A hard heart is more sensitive to other things than to God. I want to say that again, and I want this to sink in, because we'll be coming, keep coming back to this. A hard heart is more sensitive to other things than to God. Okay? When we talk about a hard heart, I'm going to go back for a moment. We're not necessarily talking about God-haters. We're not necessarily talking about those who are in rebellion to God. Although those can't apply. We are talking... A hard heart, and we're gonna we're, we're gonna we're gonna unpack this, but a hard heart is more sensitive to other things than to God. Key word here is sensitive. Okay. See, a hard heart is caused by what we focus on. What's dominating our mind? What do we meditate on? Are you following me so far? Okay, we're going to unpack this. I'm just uh, I'm, I'm saying this today. I'm throwing some things out there, and we're going to unpack this. See, we'll deal with this too in just a few moments. But <coughs> a hard heart 
dictates the level of unbelief that's in our lives. I can rephrase that. A hard heart dictates the level of unbelief that's in our heart or in our mind. We'll, we'll, we'll get to this in just a moment. This will be, be in a few moments before I get to the unbelief part. But we're going to talk about this in just a few moments too. But a hard heart will dictate the level of unbelief that is in our heart or in our lives. Okay? Our main text this morning is going to come from Mark chapter 6. You can go ahead and turn there. Mark chapter 6. I'm going to, uh, I don't want you to read it yet. So Mark chapter 6. We'll pick up verse 45. <coughs> so what's going on? And let me, let me set the context of what's going on in Mark chapter 6. Jesus just fed the 5,000, the multitudes. Now when it says 5,000, most of us believe that when it says 5,000, it's not discounting the man. So more likely, we got women and children there too. And more likely we have about 15,000 people there. Whether that's true or not, it's between 5,000 and 15,000 people is somewhere in that number of the amount of people. I like using the word multitude. I'm not really worried about how many people are there. There's a lot of people there, okay? Um, and so there's about, any given week we have about 14,000 people watching this message, our messages every week. So we have about that many people who are listening to Jesus on this particular day. He just fed the multitudes. He just did a miracle. How many of you have? Uh, just keep let's keep it let's keep it conservative. How many of you have fed five thousand people with one boy's lunch? Nobody has done that, as far as I know. Um, and so, um, it, it was a miracle. He just performed a miracle. That's the point I'm trying to get. At. Okay, that's the, that's the context. That's what that's what just happened. And we pick it up in verse forty-five, and immediately he Jesus made disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side, to Bethsaida, while he sent the multitude away. And when he had sent them away, he departed to the mountain to pray. Verse 47. Now, when evening came, the boat was in the middle of the sea. Now, it should only take about two hours to go over, over this uh, Sea of Galilee. Okay? But by evening came, the boat was in the middle of the sea, and he was alone on the land. And then he saw them straining at rowing, but the wind was against them. Now about the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea, and would have passed them by. And when they saw him walking on the sea, they supposed it was a ghost and cried out. Well, they all saw him and were troubled. But immediately he talked with them and said to them, Be of good cheer, it is I. Do not be afraid. Verse 51. And then he went up into the boat to them, and the wind ceased. And they were greatly amazed in themselves beyond measure and marveled. For they had not understood about the loaves because their hearts was hardened. Okay, we're going to unpack this a little bit here in just a moment. Okay, what, let me re-ask my question that I started off with. What does it mean to have a hard heart? Again, we're not talking about God-haters. The disciples were not God-haters. They were walking with Jesus for three and a half years. We're not talking about those who are in rebellion to him. Yes, God-haters and those in rebellion can have a hard heart, okay? I'm not dismissing that, but that's not what we're talking about. You follow me? Okay? Disciples were not in rebellion. They were obeying Jesus. They were not God-haters. They loved Jesus, their master, their teacher. What just took place? <coughs> Again, what just took place? 
feeding the feeding of the five thousand. A miracle just took place. That's what I'm, I'm heading at. Okay. They were crossing the sea by boat. They were obeying Jesus. They didn't want to go. They didn't want to do it. I think there was two reasons. One, one, they didn't want to leave Jesus. How many of you know there's some people you just want to hang around, you just don't want to leave? Okay. They, he just fed the 5,000. Who wants to leave? <laughs> and what, uh, what's for dessert? Anyway, uh, <clears throat> you know, it just, uh, but also, they, these were, some of these were fishermen. They knew a storm was coming. Okay? And they knew storm, going on a boat, it's not a good, it's not a good combo, okay? They were fighting for their lives, okay? It's a life and death situation. It was necessity for them to do that. That was their focus in the moment, okay? And then Jesus was walking on the water. Another miracle. This whole context is surrounded by two miracles. Jesus walking on the water. Not mentioning the storm cease when he got in the boat. You know, and then they were obeying God. That's what, that's the context. I'm just trying to paint the context. What's going on in this context? Nowhere in here do we see a God hater. Nowhere in here do we see rebellion. They were obeying Jesus even when they wouldn't want to. Okay? Let's go back to verse 51 here. And then he, Jesus, went up into the boat to them and the wind ceased. And they were greatly amazed. I want to focus on this amazement themselves beyond measure and marvel. Jesus just fed the 5,000 on the multitudes. <coughs> He's going to repeat this later and feed the 4,000, but right now we just have the one. Jesus just walked on the water. Okay? And they were greatly amazed at the miraculous power of God. They were shocked. If you unpack some of these Greek words that are being used here in Mark, they were shocked at the miraculous fact. They were surprised. They weren't expecting it. They followed me. They were shocked. They were surprised. They were amazed. They, were, they marveled. And then we get to verse 52. But they had not understood the lows because their heart was hardened. What did the lows have to do with them fighting for their lives in the sea? <laughs> you know, it, it seems like we have an interruption to our story. But Mark. <coughs> brings out that their hearts was hardened. That's where this phrase comes from. That's where the title of this message comes from. Mark chapter 6. He's talking about how the disciples, Jesus' own intimate followers, their hearts were hardened because they didn't understand the feeding of the multitudes. All that's to, I mean, they were fighting for their lives just a second ago. And the writer, inspired by the Holy Spirit, brings out that their hearts were hardened regarding the loaves and the fish. They bowed yourself up. Okay? Being shocked, amazed, or surprised at a miracle reveals a hard heart. This is key. This is my, one of my major points I'm going to bring out this morning. In the next two weeks, I'll bring out another perspective. I'm still going to unpack this, okay? But being shocked, being amazed, being surprised at a miracle reveals a hard heart. We don't think of a hard heart that way. We think of a hard heart someone who's a God-hater, someone who's a rebellion. 
And I would agree, someone who's in rebellion towards God, someone who's a God-hater, has a hard heart. I would agree with that, okay? They have a very stony heart, okay? But, we're not talking about that type of people. We're talking about Jesus' own disciples who were obeying Jesus in the moment at a hard heart. Because of the loaves and the fish while they were fighting for their lives while Jesus was walking on the water. It doesn't seem to fit the context. I mean, we would read this miracle, we understand that maybe they were of little faith, and we're going to talk about that in just a moment. Because in uh, another passage of scripture, we see Jesus rebuking the storm, but they also rebuked them for having little faith. But they weren't doing anything of disobedience, they weren't rebelling. And yet they were told. They were described as, by scripture, to have a hardened heart. We don't think of a hardened heart in this context. We think of a hardened heart, someone who's a rebellion toward God, someone who's lost, someone who's backslidden, someone who is just bitter towards God. We think of a hard heart. But they were shocked. They were amazed and surprised at a miracle. Two miracles. They were throwing it was still, I think they, they still didn't understand the loaves and the fish because the scripture says that. They, didn't, they thought Jesus was a ghost walking in the water. They were amazed at him calming the storm. Their heart was hard. We don't think that. And yet we, we're, we're nitpicking at the disciples right now, but we're all the same. Most of us. Most of us are not even, right now, most of us are not expecting God to do a miracle. We want it. We're praying for it. We're asking for it. We're begging him for it. We're trying to do everything we can for it, but we're not expecting And if it did happen, we would be shocked, amazed, and surprised that it happened. It should be the opposite. We should be shocked, amazed, and surprised that it's not happening. Not that it does happen or can happen or will happen. Okay? Relating to the natural more than the supernatural reveals a hard heart. Do we live in the natural world? Yes. Are we super? Are we natural people? No, we're born again. We're born of God. We're born of the nature of God. We have this word. We have a written word. We have God. We have the Spirit of God. We have the nature of God. We are born. We are a new creation in Christ Jesus. We are. We should be expecting the supernatural. We. Our whole rebirth, our whole being born again was the greatest supernatural miracle of all. And that is just the first fruits. We should be expecting the miraculous in our lives, through our lives, and in other people's lives. And when we relate, we when we relate to everything through a natural lens. And not a supernatural is. We have a hard heart. Now, we don't want to be so spiritually minded that we're no earthly good either. We should be, we should be brushing our teeth. We should be having, bathing ourselves. We should be eating. We should be working and doing our jobs and taking care of our kids and whatnot, whatever the case may be. We live in a natural world. At the same point in time, as we live this natural life in a natural world, we have an answer. We have a God. We have a relationship with God. And we have been commissioned to do the supernatural. The same way that Jesus 
sent the 12. In the same way Jesus sent the 70, Jesus has commissioned the church to go heal the sick, raise the dead, and cast out devils. Freely you receive, freely give. We should be doing, and most of us, we are so naturally minded, we are no spiritual good. And Instead, we should be so, some people are so religious minded, they're no earthly good. And so, but relating to the natural more, I'm not saying we don't relate to the natural world at all. Because some of you, I want you to brush your teeth. I want you to bathe. I want you to take care of yourself. I, I'm not emphasizing just that. I'm just giving an example. There's some natural things that we need to do. Okay? You are not going to be, you're not going to have any supernatural influence on the world if you don't take care of your experience. Just basic hygiene, first of all. No one's going to want to listen to you if you can't no, take care of yourself. Okay? So, so, uh, but relating to the natural more than the supernatural reveals a hard heart. We should be relating to life more in the supernatural and in the natural. Okay? Even Jesus in his earthly ministry still had natural things. He had to eat. He had to walk. He had to, I mean, yeah, he walked on water, but he still had to walk, you know? And so, anyway, I can, get, I can go too deep into this, but... Again, what does it mean to have a hard heart? Let's look at what this word hearted for a moment. And I'm taking this from the dictionary. Okay? It means to be cold. Cold hearted. It means to be insensitive. i got to come back to that word. It means to be unfeeling, unyielding. It also means to have a callous heart. Our heart can be callous. One of my, my favorites out of this is sensitive. We can become so insensitive to the things of God in our everyday lives. Because the Bible says in Romans 8, 6, to be naturally minded is death. But to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Paul says, to be naturally minded doesn't just lead to death, it is death. Are you following me so far? Okay. And so... We can, our heart can be insensitive to the things of God, the miraculous. All of us have had areas in our hearts where we have had a hard heart, our insensitive heart toward God. In other words, I can rephrase this. We have all had areas where we have limited God in our lives, in our finances, in our health, in situations in our lives. We have all had areas where we have limited God. In our lives, I can rephrase this whole message, this whole title of this message: symptoms of a, of a uh, symptoms of a limiting God. I could change this whole message to the whole title. Okay, God made us with the ability to shut out unwanted influences. God made us that way, that we can ignore, we can shut out unwanted influences. But some of us are, most of us are shutting out the wrong influences, and we're welcoming the bad influences. Okay? Now I'm going to look at extreme here real quick. When we think of a hard heart, I'm going to look at the, the probably the Bible's most extreme case of a hard heart, and we're not necessarily talking about this, this type of hard heart, but I still want to look at it real briefly. Pharaoh. Pharaoh in the book of Exodus had a hard heart. And I know there's... Uh, he hardened his heart, and then it shows that God hardened his heart. I'm not going to go into all that detail right now. That's another message for another time. But he's an example of a hard-heartedness. 
He's not really the example we're talking about, but he is an example of our Lord Jesus, okay? He refused to let Israel leave Egypt. That's the basics of it. Fifteen times his heart was hardened. And there was miracle after miracle after miracle to get his attention. He, his heart was so hardened, no miracle was going to knock him out of him. He persisted in resisting God. And maybe we haven't persisted in resisting God like Pharaoh did, but some of us have been persistent in being insensitive or limiting God in our lives. I got this, God. Or the fact that we're not expecting God to do it. We think we need to do it by something we do or something that we do religiously or whatever the case may be. We are persistent. I'm going to bring this out in the next two weeks. God resists the proud. He gives grace to the humble. And we'll bring this out more in the next two weeks about this persistence. Okay? But a hearted heart dulls one's ability to perceive and to understand. I'm going to bring this out in some more scriptures. <coughs> We looked at already Mark chapter 6, specifically verses 51 52. And then he went up into the boat to them, and the wind ceased, and they were greatly amazed in themselves beyond measure and marvel, for they had not understood the loaves and the fish, loaves, because their hearts were hardened. Okay? This is Mark chapter 6. The story continues in Mark chapter 8. And but Jesus, being aware of it, said to them, Why do you reason because you have no bread? Do you not yet perceive nor understand? Is your heart still hardened? You know, let's go back real quick. They were reasoning among themselves back here in this situation <coughs> that they did not understand the loaves and the fish. And so, because their hearts were hardened. They were in another situation where they didn't have bread. And I believe this was the feeding of the 4,000. I can't, I can be wrong. I, didn't, I, I can't remember the context of Mark chapter 8. But they were reasoning among themselves that, that they had no bread. And Jesus perceived that. And he asked them, why are you doing this? Why are you reasoning because you have no bread? Do you yet not perceive? Do you or not understand? Is your heart still Jesus is picking up on this hardness of heart. Again, these are not God-haters. These are not rebellious people. These are not pharaohs. They are not resisting God. Yet, Jesus is calling them out on their hard-heartedness. Okay? Now, there's five things that we're going to see in Mark 8, 8, 17 to 18 that Jesus brings out about a hard heart. One of them is they don't perceive. Another one is they don't understand. Verse 18 Having eyes they don't see, having ears they don't hear, and you don't remember. We're talking about this morning symptoms of a hard heart. And a hard heart is, is someone who's unable to perceive, someone who's unable to understand, someone who's unable to see, someone who's unable to hear, and unable to, to remember. Okay? That's what Jesus said. And so, and all these five inabilities are all about, are about inabilities in the spiritual realm. 
You still may not be able to hear and see with your natural eyes, with your physical ears. You may have some natural remembrance. You might be able to perceive and understand some things from a natural perspective. But in the spiritual realm, you are going to have some inabilities to perceive, understand, see, hear, and remember. Let's look at these five real quick for a moment. Um, and I'm going to look at these in a little more detail here in just a few moments. Okay? Symptoms of a hard heart. Unable to perceive is the first one. Okay? See, a hard heart is characterized by an inability to perceive spiritual. If you finding yourselves that you're not able to perceive spiritual truth or a spiritual lesson God is trying to teach you, and I've been there, I've been there as a pastor, I've been there recently as a pastor. There have been times where Sherry and I were like, what's going on? What's happening? I believe in those moments we, there's a, we're experiencing some symptoms of a hard heart. God's not the problem. Okay? But there's something, and, and when, we're, when, when we're struggling to perceive something spiritually, it's a symptom of a hard heart. Again, this, you know, when the whole, the whole topic of talking about a hard heart, some people did get offended by this message. This message is not to offend you make your heart even harder. This message is to help you set you free. You show them the truth, and the truth will set you if we don't deal with some things, we will never deal with it, and we'll just keep doing the same thing and with ill results. Is, Jesus was not addressing the disciples to hurt them, but to be nippity. He was trying to help them. And these disciples who had a hard heart eventually changed, turned the world upside down with Jesus through their ministry as apostles. Okay? But they were unable, they had an inability to perceive. Is it a hundred percent inability? I don't necessarily think so. It can be. There's some people they just don't get it. I mean, look at Pharaoh. He had a total inability to perceive because he resisted. You, you can resist it. You can shut out influences. Have you ever, ever had a conflict with someone and they just won't listen? They won't listen to your side of the story. That's a hard heart. From a different point of view, from a different situation, but that's a hard heart. They have hardened their heart and they won't even listen. That's deafness. They won't perceive. And so, you know, if someone doesn't even have the willingness to listen, they're not going to perceive what's really going on. They're only going to see it from one point of view. Even if that point of view is wrong or right. <coughs> and in a lot more detail, but let's look at these five. It's also a a symptom of a hard heart is also an ability to understand. You know, when we read the parable of the sower, we have this good seed, the, soil, the word of God being sown on four different kinds of soil, but and all four kinds of soil heard the word of God, but only the good soil understood the word of God. See, a hard heart is characterized by an inability to understand what little is perceived. Maybe you are perceiving something, but... If your heart is hard, you're going to have an inability to understand the little that is perceived. Are you following me so far? Okay? So in other words, they also they might be able to see, 
what God is trying to show them, but they can't get a hold of it in a way that they can apply it to their lives. That's what I'm talking about. You ever heard a church where, you know what, Pastor, I agree with you. I'm understanding that. Or maybe you're reading your Bible, you hear a message, or you have a thought. Lord, I get it, and I understand what you're trying to say, but I don't know how to apply this to my life. There's a hardness of the heart somewhere in there. Okay? And so, this is not to hurt you, this is to help you. We're going to talk about how to, how to, how to deal with the hard heart in just a few moments. And then we're, in the week three, we're going to talk about, we're going to go to rehab to, to, to hopefully get to, get to the bottom of this. But before we go to rehab, we have to first acknowledge that we have a problem. Okay? Third symptom is they're unable to see. And I'm not talking about seeing in the natural. We're talking about seeing with the heart. A heart, hard heart is characterized by spiritual blindness. You know, there have been times where I'll teach message, for example, forgiveness or whatever the case may be. And in the moment, I'm struggling about something. And I know I'm thinking wrong. I know I'm even talking wrong. And then in times I've gone to other pastors and friends and said, you know what, I know I'm not saying this right. I know I've been out of shape. I know my, my heart is overwhelmed right now. And I, I know the right answer intellectually. But my heart is having a hard time getting a hold of it so I can apply it to my life and my situation right now. And I need you. I'm blind. I'm spiritually blind and deaf right now. I even, I even understand i got a problem. But I can't apply it to my life right now because there's something blocking it. It's a hard heart. And sometimes I need a good friend, a good mentor to give me that Holy Spirit slap and slap me out of a drunken stupor. You know, I used to watch westerns when someone was drunk. They would throw the, throw the guy to the horse's trough or give him some coffee or throw him in the shower to shock him, to get him out of that drunken stupor. And we're going to talk more about that next week. But... Because we need to get sober-minded. If we don't, we're going to be overwhelmed in these last days. Okay? Our hard heart is characterized by spiritual blindness. It's also unable to hear. A hard heart is characterized by spiritual deafness. Where you're hearing, but you're not hearing. You're seeing, but you're not seeing. You're not perceiving. You're not getting it. You're not understanding and even if you do, you can't, for some reason, you just can't keen to apply it to your life. I don't know about, I hope I'm not the only one that's been like this. <laughs> and I know I'm not. Okay? But a hard heart cannot see spiritual truth. And even if they get a glimpse of it, they can't apply it to their life. What's well, stopping it? There's a blockade. There's a resistance. A hard heart can't hear God speak to them. There's been times, even as a pastor, I come crying to Sherry, I can't even hear God right now. God, it's not God that's not speaking, it's me who can't hear. Because my emotions are so loud right now, I can't hear Him. My flesh is in the way. My heart is hard. And i got to get to the next one. I'm in a drunken stupor emotionally and mentally. 
And when you ever try to talk to someone who's drunk, they cannot perceive, understand, they can't reason, they're confused, they're, they, 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 that's why they do, they, they, they have the breathalyzer test, that's why they do the little uh, thing to see if they're uh, intoxicated doing the DUI, to see, you know, when the, the, the officer will have them walk in a straight line, they can't even walk in a straight line, They'll have, they can't even say their name without slurring their words, you know, and I'll, I'll get into some of that next week, I'll teach you next week's message. But, but they just can't hear. And I'm talking about, I'm not talking, again, I'm not talking about someone necessarily who, who's in rebellion towards God, who's in, re, in a breath of faith. I'm talking about someone in the moment, in the season, or whatever, maybe the day, maybe they woke up on the wrong side of the bed, but they just cannot hear, and they cannot see, cannot perceive. Maybe it's been going on for a day, maybe it's been going on for a week, maybe it's been going on for years. Maybe it's been going on for a lifetime. But there's symptoms of a hard heart. And that's one is they can't remember. A lot of them might, a lot of us might say that one. Okay? But see, a hard heart cannot remember what God has done. Not just in their lives, but remember what God has we have a whole scripture of testimony after testimony of the great things God has done. You know, every time Sherry and I have a Financial challenge. Every time we, we, in some ways, we see our backs against the wall. We haven't gone to the deep end yet, but we see a struggle. And we see the potential if this continues that we, we're going to have, Houston, we're going to have a major problem. But every time we have a financial challenge, God reminds us what he did when we moved from California to Wisconsin. How he provided supernaturally. How he provided for us supernaturally when we went from Wisconsin to Illinois. How God provided supernaturally when he moved us from Illinois back to California. How God provided us supernaturally many other times and many other homes and many other situations. God provided us. But when we have a hard heart in the middle of it, we can't remember what God has done. He has to remind us. Our heart has been hard. And that's just one example. There's many times where we're struggling, we're at our wits end, we're crying out to God, where are you? And the first thing one, the first thing God always does, He reminds us what we have done, what He has done. Throughout the New Old Testament, you see that they'll, they'll build a pillar to remind them the things that God has done. Samuel did that, and one of them was called Ebenezer, I think it was, or it was called Thus far, God has helped us, is what that meant. We need to be reminded. And how we know the Holy Spirit's job is to bring the scriptures to our remembrance. That's his job. But when we have a hard heart, we can't remember. And again, I'm talking about spiritual things. Because a hard heart can't remember scripture. It can't remember spiritual things. But they can remember sports stats. They can remember entertainment trivia. They can't remember how someone did them wrong. How do I know they can remember how someone did them wrong? Because they keep telling the story over and over and over and over again, but they can't tell me one thing God has done or very little. And I, I'm not trying to make fun of that because I've been there. I've done that too. You know, Sherry and I have some, have some a group of people do some, some horrible things to us a few years ago. 
And I kept finding myself saying the same thing, the same story over and over and over again, how this person, how these people have done this wrong. What they did to us was beyond horrible. It was as evil as you can get. But I couldn't remember what God had done for me, I could, but I could remember how they had done this wrong. I was remembering from a natural point of view, but I was not remembering from a spiritual point of view what God has done. Because they are not my God. I don't answer to them, I answer to Him. And they're not my source, He's my source. Some people can, I mean, they, they, they can't remember scripture, but they can remember sports, stats, or entertainment trivia, or other things at work and whatnot. But they can't remember scripture events. I don't know if I'm, I don't know if I'm the only one that's struggling with this, but I, I, I've seen that, and I've seen that as a pastor. Not only in my life, but in people I minister to. See, everything I'm trying to describe so far this morning is a matter of the heart. And what you consider, your heart becomes soft towards. Whatever you meditate on, whatever you stew over. Are you stewing over the problem? Are you stewing over what someone keeps doing? How many of you, when someone's done you wrong, you play that scene over and over and over and over again? Maybe you're the one that did something wrong. You said something wrong. You did some, and you keep playing that scene over and over because you're considering what was done, what was wrong, what, what you did wrong or what they did wrong or both. And you're considering it, you're meditating on it over and over, and your heart is becoming soft towards the thing that happened, but your heart is becoming hard towards God and the things of God. And whatever you consider, whatever you focus on, will either soften or harden your heart. Hopefully that makes sense. I, I, I gotta, let me build this a little bit more. Mark 6.52 in the New King James says, But they had not understood that the loaves because their heart was hardened. Now let's look at the same verse in the King James. And it says, For they considered not the miracle of the loaves for their heart was hardened. I want to look at this word considered real quick. Okay. This word consider in the Greek means to study, to ponder, to deliberate, to examine, to think upon, my favorite, to meditate, to focus on, and then a favorite one. Are you following me so far? They didn't ponder about the loads and they didn't ponder about the miracle. They didn't study the miracle. They didn't deliberate and examine the miracle. They didn't think about the miracle. They didn't meditate and focus on it. Now some of us could reason, well, they didn't have the time. They went right, they were right there to a boat and now they're fighting for their lives. They didn't have the time. I don't know about you, but even when, when things are going bad, I'm thinking about the thing I consider the most. You know, while... When, when people did us wrong a few years ago, every, when I worked, when I slept, even in my dreams, I was thinking about these people when they had done wrong to me. Does that make sense? I meditated on it. I was meditating more on what people had done wrong to me than I was scripture, the, the things of God. 
Okay? See, again, I want to reemphasize the disciples' hearts were hard not because of sin. Of course, I can go back and say, and that's not a faith of sin, so I could go that route. But the disciples were focused on obeying Jesus. And in the middle of the boat, they were focused on saving their lives. They weren't, and again, I'm painting the picture, they were not revolting against God. They were not rebellion. They were not God-haters. But a hard heart is more sensitive to other things than to God. That's my opening point. And I'm going to keep coming back to this point. Our heart is more sensitive to other things than to God. Were they supposed to be in the boat? Yes, Jesus told them. Were they supposed to be, in a sense, trying to save their lives? Yes. Well, what are you going to do? Just drown? I mean, is it, was there a better answer? Yes, to have a miracle. But we're supposed to save their lives. Okay? But they were more sensitive to other things than to God. They were surprised when Jesus came on the scene walking on the water. Are you following me so far? Okay? See, a hard heart is caused by what we focus on. They weren't considering the miracle that just took place. And so when another miracle was needed, they were not expecting a miracle. They were expecting to have to struggle on their own. See, when we have a problem, and we are going to have, Jesus said, in this life you will have tribulation. Jesus said, in this life you will have tribulation. If you think you're going to have no tribulation in this life, you're a fool. Jesus said he would. Okay? And if you're going to take matters in your own hands, your heart is hard. Instead of letting Jesus come into the boat of your lives and expecting him to come into the boat of your life and calming the storm and calming the sea and getting you back on the right track. Well, anyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And what saved means healed, prospered, delivered, uh, wholeness, okay? See, the disciples were hard because they did not consider the miracle of Jesus feeding the 5,000. The disciples' hearts were hard because their focus was not on a miracle that Jesus just performed. We should focus on the things God has done in our lives instead of focusing on the things that other people have done to us or things that we have done wrong. Or some of us are stewing over the government. I don't like what the government's doing either. But that cannot be my focus. I don't like it. I hate it. I disagree with a lot of it. But that is not going to matter. That cannot be something I consider day in and day out focused. I need to be focused on God. If I'm focused more on the cares of this world than God, my heart will become hard and insensitive towards God. I'm not saying we can't know, know a little bit what's going on, but that cannot dominate my mind. God has to dominate my mind. Okay? And so, what they're not supposed to be in the boat, what they're not supposed to do what they know naturally to do to save their lives in the boat, yes. But they should have been expecting Jesus, who told them to even go in the boat in the first place to show up. Because Jesus, who told them to go there, was responsible for their journey. 
Okay? I would, let me do, I want to deal with this natural mindedness a little bit. I would want you to have a natural awareness if you were driving a car and I was in it. I want you to drive that car as natural as you can. Did I want you to have some spiritual awareness? Yes. You know, three times God told me to stop at a green light because the car was going to right, ready to go through a red light direction. So you can drive naturally, but you can also be aware spiritually. And when God tells you to stop and all the cars behind you are honking the horn, you stop. I'm glad I paid attention. One time I wasn't even driving. I was driving with a, a roommate of mine and his son was in the backyard. I mean, backseat. <laughs> And uh, I said, stop. The light just turned green. And he's like, why? It's green. And then the car came speeding through. I'm glad he drove home naturally the rest of the way home. But in the moment, I'm glad I wasn't out of awareness. But, but that's really not really my point. My point is, I want you to have a, a natural awareness when you're, when you're driving a car. Whether I'm in there or not. If you're flying an airplane, especially if I'm in it, even for your own safety, I want you to use a natural mind. If you're cooking my food, I want you to have a natural mind. And I can go on and on with these examples. Let me flip it a little bit. <coughs> but if you come upon an impossible situation, I want you to have supernatural mindedness. Because your natural mind is not going to do it. Am I making sense? Disciples found themselves in a supernatural situation, fighting for their lives. They should not have been surprised that Jesus showed up. Okay. And so we can we can't be limited to the natural realm. We live in it, and there's times where we need to be naturally minded. Okay? Jesus spent all night praying. He didn't do that every night. He did sleep sometimes. He slept in the boat. <laughs> we had a little storm once. But he didn't do that every night. Is it okay to have all night prayer time with God? Yeah, Jesus did. I have no problem with that. If you do that every night and you're drowsy all day and can't interact with people ever, nothing's wrong with that. Okay? See, disciples had just witnessed Jesus feeding over 15,000 people. Okay, change it back to 5,000, that's fine. But still, a miracle. Within t with two small fishes, five loaves of bread, this was an awesome miracle. Even if you just take the one off and keep it down to 5,000, it's still an awesome miracle. <coughs> okay? If the disciples kept their focus on the miracle, they would not have been shocked, surprised, and marveled at what Jesus walking on the water. They would have been expecting it. Okay. See, back in the context, immediately Jesus made his disciples get into the boat. Let's go to King James and said that he constrained them. See, the disciples had to be compelled, constrained to get into the boat. They didn't want to go. They, but Jesus made them do it. They were obeying Jesus. Therefore, Jesus was responsible for their journey. They should have expected him to show up when they were fighting for their lives. Okay? 
they should have trusted Jesus would take care of them. We should trust that God will take care of us. Maybe we got ourselves in a situation. Maybe someone else did something horrible to us. But we have a God who loves us and cares for us. We can trust him. Like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who said, even if God doesn't rescue, we're not going to bow down, but our God is able. And he, guess, when they were thrown into that fiery furnace, guess who showed up? Jesus didn't just walk on water, he walked on fire too. In Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego's lives. He shut the lion's mouths for Daniel. He split the Red Sea for Moses and the children of Israel. God is a miracle-working God, and we can expect him to do miracles if we need it. They should have expected Jesus to come walking on the water. We should not be so dominated by the natural. We should not be so dominated by our problems. We should not be surprised by the supernatural. We should expect the miraculous power of God to manifest in our lives all the time. This is the heart of my message this morning. Because I'm talking about what are we expecting. We should expect the miraculous power of God to manifest in our lives all the time. Instead, our hearts have become so hardened towards God, we, we fail to stay focused on spiritual things. Are you following me this morning? I'm getting to the heart of my message right here. I want to go back one more time. We should expect the miraculous power of God to manifest in our lives all the time. Instead, we, our hearts have become so hardened towards God, we fail to stay focused on what? On spiritual things. Instead of our hearts, they have become so hardened towards God, we fail to expect the miraculous. I'm speaking to myself this morning just as you, okay? One of the reasons I wanted to preach this message is because I need to hear this too. And I'm saying, I told Sherry uh, last week or the last two weeks, we were, uh, it was on Sunday, driving to lunch after the service, and said, I'm going to be preaching the message. And actually, we, I got another, we had another errand to run earlier in the week. And, uh, and I said, I'm going to be preaching a message in early January. You and I need to listen. I'm listening to this as much as I'm preaching to this. I'm not speaking at you. I'm speaking to all of us, including myself this morning. Okay? Now, when I say that we need to focus on God, I'm not saying that we need to do religious things, because religious things and spiritual things are two different things. Religious things is trusting what you're doing. Spiritual things is trusting God, what he did, what he has done. He may tell us to do some things, but we're not doing it religiously trusting what we're doing. We're trusting that we're God, what God told us to do, he knows what he's doing. Big difference. It's a world of difference. Religious things is just trusting what you're doing. There's no, there's no faith in that. Okay? Now, I'm going to throw a curveball here. Somewhat of a curveball. When you understand what causes hard-heartedness, you can reverse it to reverse the process. What do you mean by that? Well, see, hear me out, because this, this may change some of your lives. 
when you understand what causes heart hardness, you can reverse the process. For example, instead of your heart being hard against the miraculous, your heart can be hard against the devil. Hear me? I'm going to say this again. Instead of your heart being hard towards God and the miraculous, your heart can be hard towards the devil. See, you determine what your heart accepts or rejects. No one accepts it. No one determines that for you. You determine what your heart accepts or rejects. You will never act in a way that you have never considered. And if you control your thoughts, you can control your actions. If my heart can be hardened towards God, even though I love him, just like the disciples, the disciples love Jesus? Yes. The disciples, was he their master, their, his, their hero, their God? Yes. But we can get so hardened in our hearts, even though we're doing religious things, even though we're doing good things, that we're hardened towards God, and that we're not seeing the supernatural in our lives. We can, we can flip that, and we can become so hardened towards the devil. That we're the only one we're going to believe is God. I don't care. Even if we're the only ones, like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, even if we're the only ones who, stand, who refuse to bow down, I don't care what the, the world is saying about the end times and different things. I'm going to trust my God. And once, I'm going to harden my heart towards the world. I'm going to harden my heart towards the news. And I'm going to soften my heart towards God. See, we can flip that. You can only have one master. Every time you say yes to someone, you're saying no to somebody else. You can only have one God. You can only have one master. If you control your thoughts, you can control your actions. See, Proverbs 23, 7 says this. <coughs> what a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. The condition of your heart is determined by what we focus on. When you, what you meditate on controls whether your heart is hard or soft. So what is the cure? What's the cure? A total commitment of keeping your mind stayed on Him. Well, how do you do that? Well, Sometimes you need a jump start. That makes sense? Sometimes you need something to get you out of it. We need to keep our mind stayed on him. But some of us have a hard time getting our mind on him in the first place. So that's what fasting is all about. That is what fasting is all about. See, a hard heart is more sensitive to other things than to God. And a hard heart is caused by what we focus on. And a hard heart dictates the level of unbelief in our lives. So what is fasting? Fasting does not change God. Fasting changes you. See, in Mark 9, real quick, and when he, Jesus, came to the disciples, he saw a great multitude around them and described with them. Immediately when they saw him, 
all the people were greatly amazed and running to him, greeted him, and he, he asked the scribes, what are you discussing with them? And then one of the crowd answered and said, Teacher, I brought to you my son, <coughs> who was a mute, who had a mute spirit, and whenever he seizes him, it throws him down, and he foams at the mouth, gnashes his teeth, and becomes rigid. So I spoke to your disciples that they should cast it out, but they could not. He answered and said, Oh, faithless generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I bear with you? Bring him to me. Verse 20. And then they brought him to him. And they, they brought the boy to Jesus. Okay. And when he, when Jesus saw, when he, when he, the boy, saw Jesus, immediately the spirit convulsed him, and he fell to the ground and flogged foaming at the mouth. So he asked the father, how long has this been happening to him? He said, from childhood. And often he has done him both in, in both the fire and to water to destroy him. But if you, if you can do anything, have compassion, that's and help us. Jesus said, if you, if you can believe, all things are possible to him who believes. We need to hear that. All things are possible to those who believe. Immediately the father of the child cried out and said with the tears, Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. Okay? And when Jesus saw that the people came running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to the death, and dumb spirit, I command you, come out of him and enter him no more. Verse 26. And then the spirit cried out, convulsed him greatly, and came out of him, and he became as one dead. So the people, many, so that many said, he is dead, but Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up, and he rose. And when he had come into the house, his disciples asked him privately, why could we not cast it out? And he, Jesus, said to them, the disciples, this kind can only come out by prayer and fasting. Okay, let me, let me address some of this real quick, okay? Prayer and fasting do not drive out certain means, okay? If the name of Jesus and faith in his name won't work, then fasting won't work either. There's nothing more powerful than the name of Jesus. Okay. Prayer and fasting casts out unbelief. It doesn't cast out demons. Some people need to hear that. Okay. Unbelief that is unbelief that is a result of an ignorance can be now let me what am I explaining here? I don't have time to teach all this, but there's different kinds of unbelief. And one of those kinds of unbelief is ignorance. And ignorant, uh, I, I believe that based on ignorance can be expelled by the word of God. Once you hear the word of God, that unbelief is gone. Okay? That's the, e that's the easiest type of unbelief to overcome. For example, Romans 10, 17 says, So then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Second Peter says this, By which we have been given exceedingly great and precious promises, that's the word of God, that through these you may have been partakers of the divine nature. In other words, I don't have time to teach all the different kinds of unbelief right now. That's not the scope of my teaching. But the type of teaching I'm talking about right now is natural unbelief. That's what's going on in Mark chapter 9. Okay? However, the unbelief that hinders the disciples was a natural unbelief. When, when a boy starts foaming at the mouth, throwing himself in fire, and, and becoming rigid and all those different things, a lot of us have a problem with that. It's called natural unbelief. Okay? We, we can talk about a different kind of unbelief and a different teaching. Most of us have been trained all of our lives to believe what our five senses tell us. What we hear, taste, 
smell, feel, and touch. I don't know if I did them all. I think I'm missing one. Speak. Okay. We have five senses. And if I said, all of our lives, we have learned how to believe what our five senses is telling us. Most of us have been dominated by our five senses all of our lives. That's natural. We're talking about walking, living supernaturally versus natural. We're talking about expecting miracles and not just everything that happens is natural. But we have been so dominated all of our lives to to be dominated by our five senses. That's natural. Okay? And again, if you're flying in an airplane, I want you to think naturally. Okay? Now, if the plane, if the engines die, and you don't know how to fly a plane, then I want you to kick in the supernatural. Okay? We're going to land this plane by the, by the grace of God. Now, are you following me so far? Okay? Most of us are not dominated by the supernatural word of God. Most of us are not. We want to think we are. And we might be more dominated than some people, but most of us, I can tell by our actions, I can tell by our emotions, I can tell by our stress and worry level that we're not. The only way to overcome natural unbelief is by prayer and fasting. See, fasting enables our born-again spirit man to gain, I don't know if I can pronounce this correctly, adequacy. What's adequacy? Okay, let's, well... You're puzzled like I am. What's that word? So I had to look it up. Let's look it up. It means this. It's occupation of a position of a dominant power or influence. It also means a governing, controlling influence. So let's slow down just for a second. Because I, 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 I just made a question that... Excuse me. Let's go this way. Fasting enables our born-again spirits to gain adequacy. Well, what's adequacy? It's the position of dominant power or influence. It's a governing or controlling influence. What's governing you? What's controlling? Who's Lord? Who's Lord? Your problem? Having seizures? Foaming at the mouth? Who's Lord? Who's Lord of your mind? Who's Lord of your heart? We're talking about a hard heart. But what dominant, what power is dominant? What influence <coughs> is controlling your heart, your mind? The natural or the supernatural? God or you? God or your circumstances? Are you, are you following me so far? Okay. Fasting enables us to are born again spirits to be in control. Not our natural man. Our born again spirit. Our born again spirit is not natural. It's supernatural. If I want my super born again spirit to be in control, then I need sometimes to fast to bring my flesh that is not supernatural under the control of my born again spirit. Are you following me? Okay. Fasting was always used as a means of seeking God above all else. So that, you know, in fasting and prayer, we have lost the purpose of it. At its core, prayer is a relationship with God. Okay? At its core, fasting is a part of prayer. It's seeking God. 
But give up the food just for a moment. At its core, fasting is seeking God. If all you do is abstain from food and you don't seek God, you miss the purpose. All you do is miss a meal. Or two or three or four. <laughs> Depending on how long you fast. Fasting does not cast out demons. Fasting casts out unbelief. Fasting is essential in every aspect of the Christian life. But the real virtue of a fast is in simply humbling ourselves through self-denial. We can fast religiously and accomplish nothing. Fasting can be healthy physically from a medical point of view. It can be unhealthy if you do it too fast. It can be unhealthy in some situations if, you're not, if you don't know what you're doing. Okay? But the real virtue of a fast is simply humbling yourself to seek God. Okay? Psalm 35 says it this way, But as for me, when they were sick, my clothing was sackcloth. I humbled myself with fasting, and my prayer would return to my own heart. Some of us need to fast to get our heart back in gear. Okay? Psalm 69 says this, When I wept and chastened my soul with fasting, that became my reproach. Okay? Let's move forward. Humbling yourself, and we're going to talk more about humbling yourself next week or the next couple weeks. Humbling yourself can be accomplished through ways other than total absence. There's more than one way to humble yourself. Okay? Nonetheless, man's appetite for food is man's strongest lust. I don't know about you, but I don't. when I get hungry, I want to eat. I want to eat now. An animal, when they want to eat, they want to eat, they want to eat now. That's why a lion kills. That's why animals kill if they feed because they're hungry. Okay? Man, your hunger is your strongest lust. Okay? I don't know about you, but there's times where I want to eat. I want to eat now. I'm gonna, I don't like it, but I, I have a, chance, a real high chance of being cranky until I get some food. I don't know if, maybe I'm the only one that gets cranky when I'm hungry, but uh, I can, I, I've been there, okay? Fasting for food seems to humble our flesh the quickest, okay? We can go in into different ideas. Can we fast from this and that? Yes, we can. The only fast we see in Scripture is for food. We don't see it in there fast. Am I against fasting for other things? No, I think some of us need to fast. I think some of us need to put some other things down to, to death for good, <laughs> Forget the fast part. We just need to stop listening to some things. Stop doing, participating in some things. But are there other kinds of fast? Well, I can, I can go, I can, I can go with you on that. I can't use scripture to that because there's only one kind of fast for food. But if all you're doing is fasting for food to, to religiously, you're not doing anything. If you're missing the purpose of the fast, which is to seek God, which is to humble your flesh. If you're trying to impress God by fasting, you're wrong. You're a fool. There's nothing you can do to impress God other than faith. Well, but without faith, uh, no one pleases God. Okay. We're not trying to impress God. We're trying to control our flesh. We're trying to bring our heart back into gear. And we're trying to starve our unbelief. Okay? See, fasting is much more than abstaining food. Fasting is all about seeking God. Fasting is about conquering unbelief. 
Okay? Fasting is all about keeping our mind stayed on Him. Fasting is good because sometimes our mind is not stayed on Him, and sometimes I need to fast, get my flesh humbled, so I can get my mind back on Him. If this is not the result, then you fast for nothing. I'm not trying to be mean, but I'm trying to, we, we throw the baby out with the bathwater. And we need to get the baby back. <laughs> Some of you have thrown the baby out with the bathwater, and it's time to go find the baby. Okay? I'm not trying to be mean, I'm not trying to be facetious, but I'm trying to make a point. Fasting about keeping our mind. That's why we fast. And some of us need to fast to get our mind back in the gear. Are you following me? See, symptoms of a hard heart is that we can't perceive, understand, see, fit, hear, or remember. And sometimes we need to fast so we can do these things again. It's a matter of the heart. And what you consider, your heart becomes soft toward most of us, our hearts become hard towards the things of God, and we need to fast so our hearts can be soft towards God and hard towards our flesh. But some of you, your flesh is winning. So you need to subject your flesh to humble your flesh so your flesh can be, you can be hard towards your flesh and soft towards God. So that you, you can be hard towards the natural and soft towards the supernatural. See, this word consider again, we talked about it, but it means to study, <coughs> excuse me, to ponder, to deliberate, to examine, to think upon, to meditate, and to, to focus on. Sometimes we need to fast so that we get back into meditating on the things of God, pondering the things of God, studying the things of God, examining the things of God, focusing on God. We should not be dominated by the natural. But if we're dominated by the natural, we need to fast sometimes to get us dominated by the supernatural. Are you following me? We should not be surprised by the supernatural. We should expect the miraculous power of God to manifest in our lives all the time. Fasting does not move God. Fasting moves us because God's not stuck. We are. Instead, of our hearts, our hearts have become so hardened towards God, we fail to stay focused on spiritual things. We fail to expect the miraculous. And when we understand what causes hardness of heart, we can reverse the process. And sometimes fasting helps that. Instead of your heart become hard against the miraculous, you can be hard against the devil and expect the miraculous. You determine what you accept or reject. You will never act in a way that you have never considered. You, if you control your thoughts, you can control your actions. The condition of the heart is determined on what you focus on. And fasting helps us get us back in focus. How long do you need to fast? Well, how hard is hard? Do we want this to work? This is not a game. This is not a dress rehearsal. It's not to please God. It's to get your heart in gear. What you meditate on controls whether your heart is soft or not. Your flesh wants to eat. 
And some of you, your flesh is eating on the troubles and cares of this world. You've been even feasting on that too long. And it's trying to say that your flesh and your emotions are not God. He is. So what's the cure? The cure is getting a commitment of keeping your mind stayed on him. And if we need to, we need to fast to get our mind stayed on him. And then we need to just keep our mind stayed on him. What do we got to keep doing? We got to keep our focusing on him, being the word of God. And it is we labor to enter into that rest. We're going to be talking about the rest next week a little bit too. We need to expect the miraculous. Why? He's my God. He's my Father. He's my beloved, and I am his, and he is mine. And we need to revive our expectations. And fasting is only, fasting is only one of the ways we can do that. Some of us need to get back in church. Some of us need to get back in the Word. Some of us, if you're fasting and not going to church, you're a fool. You're fasting and you're not in the Word of God, you're a fool. Fasting won't help you. You need to get back in the Word. Okay? And it says you can fast to, get your, to break your flesh so you get back in the Word. I can, I, I can buy that. Okay? Some of you are going to church, but you need, don't have any personal relationship with God. You're listening to this speaker. You're listening to that speaker. You're going to this pastor. But you have no personal relationship with God. The church does not substitute your personal relationship with God, and your personal relationship with God does not substitute going to church. If you have a good relationship with God personally, but you're not going to church, you're selfish. Because all you care about is you. There's a bunch of people who need you to fellowship with them because they need the body. And you're saying, I, I just need God for me, for me, us four, no more, and, 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 and I'm not going to care about... You don't go to church just so you can get them to minister to you. That can be part of it. But you go to church so you can minister to them. And if all you care about you getting the minister, you are selfish. You need a fast. And we're going to be talking about self-centeredness, selfishness next week too. You are in a drunken stupor about yourself. And I'm not saying this to be mean. I'm saying this to tell you the truth. We need a revival. And it starts with the church. It starts with you. It starts with me. And if no one else is going to get revived, I'm going to get revived. To be not carnally, to be naturally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. We're going to go talk about this when we go to rehab. Week three. Or part three. I don't even know. I have so much info next week, I don't even know if I can do next week's lesson all in one week. Okay? I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercy of God, that you present your bodies living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world. We're going to be talking a lot about this over the next few weeks. But be transformed by the renewing of your mind. We're getting our minds stay on Him so we can expect them. So, some of us are so conformed to this world, we are in a drunken stupor. And we're going to be talking about that next week. We don't realize it, but we are. Because we've been, we've been just like an alcoholic has been nursing on the bottle, we've been nursing on the world. And we need to get rid of the bottle, we need to get rid of the world in one sense, and we need to get our minds renewed. 
We need to go to rehab. That you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. We don't read verse 3 very often. We usually end verse 2. Here verse 3 real quick. But if I say, though, the grace which given to me, everyone who is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly. Are you hearing me? We get so focused on verse 2. I want to read verse 3. <laughs> because this is where we're going next week. For I say, though, by the, the grace given to me, everyone who is among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly. As God has dealt to each one the measure. It's the measure. Not, I put the brackets here because in the Greek it's not a measure. It's the measure of this. Okay, that's a whole other message, but I bring that up for now. But we need to be sober. In these last days, we need to be soberly minded. We need to be sober and diligent because our devil, the devil is out to seek who he may devour. He's like a roaring lion who he may devour. And we don't get sober, we can be devoured. And we, some of us are so focused on self. That's why we are whining and complaining. Like a spoiled brat. Most of us need a good spanking. Spiritually speaking. Chasten. So that we can receive all that God wants for us. Supernaturally. And we can do all God wants to do through us. Supernaturally. But God can't even do the supernatural for us and through us. Because we are so focused on self. We are so naturally minded. We are so conformed to this world. To the mold of this world. If you study down the Greek, we are so conformed to the mold of this world. The way it thinks. The way it functions. There's a, there's a natural church and there's a spiritual church. And we have become so conformed to our natural church. way it thinks. We're supposed to be the head and not the tail. We're supposed to be above and not beneath. We're supposed to be the people of God. People should be flocking to us like a flea, like a flea market to receive Jesus, to receive healing, to receive miracles. They flock to Jesus. They flock to the apostles. They either cause a revival or a riot. But people are not even calling us. People are not even reaching out to us. Something's wrong with that picture. And we think, well, the days are wicked. I don't think the days are much more wicked than they were in Rome. Rome was wicked to the core. I mean, they had open orgies and all kinds of stuff. I'm not saying the days are not bad. But we need to change the world. And we can't until we get sober. We need to be spiritually minded. I'm saying all these things as we kick in the new year that we can crown in the year with his goodness. And our past can drift with abundance. See, a hard heart is more sensitive to other things than God. Our hard heart is caused by what we focus on. Our hard heart dictates the level of unbelief in our lives. So what are we expecting? Lesson one. Next week we're going to talk about the drunkenness of the heart. And like I said, I don't even know. I have a lot in here for the next week, for 
my second point and my third point I have, it may be two, two, two weeks on each point. I don't know. We'll find out more next week because I have twice as many slides for week two than I did for this week. And I don't know how long it will take me to go through it all. I don't want to rush through it. Okay. I thought this was all argued. I thought, I, I, you know, I had prepared this week's lesson. I thought it was done. And God kept adding more to it. I do not want this to be a negative level series. I want this to be a positive series on symptoms of a hard heart. Okay? And because if we get a soft heart towards God, we can change the world. We can do the miraculous. We will see it on a more regular basis. But we're not even expecting it. If we're not expecting it, we're never going to see it. Because the man thinks so is he. And so, anyway, hopefully, I didn't mean to cut anybody off on anything, but I, I think we're, we're good. So, again, we're not having Bible study tonight. We will resume Bible study next week. So, on the 9th, we will have both Sunday morning and Bible study Sunday night. Okay? So, we're just going to take one more week off, Sherry and I, for this, uh, and then we're going to pick it up uh, next week. God bless you guys. We'll see you next time.